While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Well, good morning, everyone. Just give me a, a moment to get organised. That Bible reading was so short that I uh, am uh, still getting things sorted. Ben is bringing me a Bible. Um, I have a Bible, but this one will hold up my notes. Thank you. All that he says is based literally on the Word based of God. Based on the Word of God, that's right. Thank you, Ben. It is wonderful to be with you all, and each week it's just lovely to see more and more of us regathering and coming back together. So if you're here for the first time in a while, welcome back. It is really great to have you with us, as it's great to be together as a church family. If you're not able to be with us this morning, but join us online, it's great that you can connect in this way, and we do hope that you will be able to join with us in the near future. Uh, Let's pray um, again as we uh, come to reflect on this part of God's Word. Our Father, we do thank you for your Word and we we ask that you give us ears to hear, you give us minds to understand, that you give us hearts ready to take it to heart, to live according to it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Our families come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Um, Family can be a source of great joy, of greater greater enjoyment and pleasure, uh, but it can also be a great source of pain. And uh, I came across some quotes uh, about family, which will come up on the screen here. So first one, we may, uh, sorry, family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. Some of you might even know where that, uh, Lilo and Stitch, actually, it's, it's in there. It might be someone else said it also, but um, next one, we... Uh, we may have our differences, but nothing's more important than family. Uh, to us, family means putting your arms around each other and being there. Or this one, family, like branches on a tree, we all grow in different directions, yet our roots remain as one. Uh, in family life, love is the oil that fr- eases friction, the cement that binds closer together, and the music that brings harmony. Well, here's one. The other night, I ate at a real nice family restaurant. Every table had an argument going. Well, this one. Families are messy. Immortal families are eternally messy. Sometimes the best we can do is remind each other that we're related for better or for worse and try to keep the maiming and killing to a minimum. Well, this one. Family is not an important thing. It's everything. Well, there we go. Now, we may, may not say it's everything. Maybe that's taking things a bit too far. But I, I do think that we'd say that family is important. And today's passage touches on the topic, this topic of family. And it has some significant, some important things to say to us, some important truths for us, which, which actually ought to shape us, ought to shape our understanding, our priorities, how we live our lives including how we think and act in regard to families. Now, as Kerry pointed out today, his passage is rather short. It's only five verses long. And in fact, two of the verses say pretty much exactly the same thing. And maybe you're thinking, wow, it's a short passage. It's going to be a short sermon this morning. 
No promises. We'll see. But as the saying goes, and I'm sure Kezia is, uh, is, is understanding this saying this morning, small, good things come in small packages. Um, let's get into this passage. Uh, now Jesus, just to sort of set the scene, Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing. Uh, we've seen him go head to head with the religious leaders. Uh, the section we looked at last week, he, he's condemned the wicked generation of Israel uh, as epitomised by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He's condemned them for their failure to see him as he really is and to repent. He says this generation will be condemned on the day of judgment. But then we have in this, this last section of the chapter, he presents what well, really presents the, the positive alternative. We pick it up in verse 46 with Jesus talking to the crowd. Now, remember earlier that Jesus had uh, been a large crowd, had been following him, and Jesus had been uh, talking with them and healing, and, and he's still talking to the crowd here in verse 46. But then we're told about his family. Verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Now, we might wonder, what, what's going on here? Why are his mother and brothers outside? Or why do they want to speak to him? What, what, what do they want to speak about? Maybe it's dinner time. And, you know, come on, Jesus, time to go home. Uh, maybe they've caught wind of the, the Pharisees' plot to kill Jesus and they're, they're there to, to warn him and to, to, you know, to protect him. Maybe something's happened in the family that needs his attention. We, we could speculate, but we, we don't know why they wanted to speak to him. We're not told. Uh, interestingly, in a parallel account in Mark's Gospel, some more details are given. And so uh, Mark chapter 3, from verse 20, has uh, this kind of parallel account. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And then we read on that Jesus and the teachers of the law debate about Beelzebul and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the same content we looked at, parallel account, two weeks ago. And then we read verse 31, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So what we learn from Mark's account is that Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind and needed, needed them to come and rescue him. Now Matthew doesn't include this detail. He doesn't see it necessary to include this detail, which means that their particular motive in wanting to talk to Jesus doesn't really matter. But one detail that both Matthew and Mark do include is where his mother and brothers are. Outside. Outside the house or the crowd. Uh, we're not actually told, um, although in the next chapter, in chapter 13, it says that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, so perhaps he was in a house. But the point is, his mother and brothers were outside. They were apart from where Jesus was. Jesus was inside, talking to his disciples, talking to the crowd, but his mother and brothers were outside, wanting to talk to him. 
They were not in on what Jesus was doing. And I think that's, that's the important point that Matthew is making by describing the scene the way that he does. Perhaps that's also why uh, he's recorded that the, the person repeating the same phrase, verse 47, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. It kind of emphasises the point. I mean, Jesus, you're here talking to the crowd. They're outside wanting to talk to you. Perhaps that's overreading it. Uh, perhaps they were just politely waiting their turn until he was finished. But I think the way both Matthew and Mark describes the scene, it seems to emphasise the, the distance, the separation between Jesus and his family, which actually fits with what we know of Jesus, uh, his mother and brothers um, uh, uh, from other parts of the Gospel. It, it is interesting that after the birth narratives, the, uh, his parents and family, well, they, they don't really feature in a significant way and that alone might be significant. However, they are, are mentioned a few times, uh, such as that passage in Mark 3 where we see that they, they thought he was mad and, and uh, needed them to take charge of him. Obviously, things hadn't gone the way that they were expecting them to. Uh, in John chapter 2, we read that Jesus' mother and brothers were there. They, they, they just mentioned they were around, they were aware of what Jesus was doing. And then in John chapter 7, there's an interesting little exchange recorded between Jesus and his brothers. They tell him to, to leave Galilee, go to Judea, get out of the country back blocks, go to the big smoke, show yourself to the world, his brothers say. And then John adds this, this little detail in John 7 verse 5. He says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. It's interesting, it took some time for Jesus' own family to understand what he came to do. But they got there in the end. Uh, when you get to Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, it, uh, it lists the apostles who, who returned to Jerusalem. And then it says in Acts 1 verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It's interesting that you know, Luke, as he, as he records Acts, makes sure he includes that detail. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Jesus' mother and brothers were eventually amongst his followers, his disciples. But at this stage in, in Matthew 12, they were not inside listening to him. They were outside wanting to speak to him. Perhaps it's worth reflecting on where you are at this morning are you gathered with the disciples with the crowd ready to listen to Jesus or are you outside thinking more about what you want to say well someone brought this to Jesus attention this news of his family's presence what might what might we expect Jesus to do at this point do we think well he's gonna he's gonna leave the crowd and go out and say hello to his mum surely isn't that what he's gonna do and we don't know, maybe perhaps, I'd like to think that Jesus did do that eventually, but we're not, that's not recorded for us. And it's not what he did initially. What did he do? Well, verse 48, he replied to the person who, who told him. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, this may be a bit shocking to us, as I expect it would, be to, would have been to those who uh, 
was sitting around him to hear him say this. Is Jesus disowning his own brothers? Is he dishonouring his mother? Uh, Jesus was certainly one for using provocative language in order to to make a point. When you think of um, in the Sermon on the Mount, in uh, Matthew 5, verse 29, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. So Jesus used provocative language to, to make a point, and I think that's what he's doing here. Now, look, Jesus clearly loved his mother. Uh, he he, he honoured his mother. We read in uh, Mark chapter 7 that on a different occasion, he tore shreds off the Pharisees for their hypocrisy in, in dodging the commandment to honour your, your mother and father. Uh, Jesus clearly upheld the law concerning honouring your parents. Uh, in John 19, in John's account of Jesus' crucifixion, he records that, that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John's way of talking about himself, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. It's a beautiful and and moving scene at Jesus' crucifixion in him him caring for his mother providing for her even as he hung dying so i take it that that uh, in matthew 12 jesus is is not dishonoring his mother and brothers instead what he's doing is he's he's using this moment to make a point this is a a teaching moment it's a teaching moment for the the person who told him for the the crowd who's around who hears him say this it's it's a teaching moment for us as we gather around god's word to listen Jesus says, verse 48, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Who is Jesus' true family? He points to his disciples. Uh, The the ESV translation is, is more literal. It says, stretching out his hand towards his disciples. He said, here are my mother and my my brothers. Those here with me, those listening to me. Not not those on the outside, those here listening. Now verse 50 is a a profound invitation that's, that's worth looking at closely. Notice firstly there that Jesus speaks of my father in heaven. He's saying God is is my father. He is the son of God. And and the family that Jesus speaks of here is, is God's family where God is father. Secondly, notice that, that Jesus' invitation is to be as, as close as a brother or sister or, or mother. In fact, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he, he opens up the way for us to become children of God, to, to, be, to come into God's family. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's an extraordinary thing. When, when we believe in Jesus, put our trust in him as our Lord and Saviour, we are adopted into God's family, with God as our Father, with Jesus as our brother. Thirdly, notice who this is for. 
It's for those who do the will of Jesus' Father in heaven. Now, you might read that and you might think, well, gee, no one does that. I mean, no one can do the will of the Father in heaven. I mean, that's true. None of us do that perfectly. But this is not describing the, the way to come into God's family as if you know, it's up to us to pull up our moral socks and, and do God's will better and then we'll, we'll be accepted into God's family if we do that. I mean, that's not, not what this is saying. Clearly, the, the, the testimony of Scripture is it's only through trusting in Jesus. It's only through believing in his name, as John 1 verse 12 says. It's only through that that we're forgiven, that we're welcomed into God's family. But someone who is in God's family, well, they're someone who seeks to do the will of their heavenly father. There's a little incident recorded in Luke chapter 11 that makes a similar point. It says, Luke 11 verse 27, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The character of of those truly blessed members of God's family, the character of of such people is that they hear the word of God and they obey it. And I think uh, in the the flow of Matthew's gospel, this is making a point. As I said before, Jesus has just condemned the, the wicked generation of Israel, epitomized by the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He's, he's condemned them because they, they haven't repented, they haven't received Jesus as Messiah. But here Jesus says there is a remnant who do acknowledge Jesus, who, who are sitting around him, listening to him, seeking to do the will of their heavenly Father. Yes, there are many outside but some respond to Jesus' invitation and are welcomed in to his family. But notice fourthly, just how, how wide and open this invitation is. It's for whoever, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not limited. It's not limited to the important people. It's not limited to the impressive people, the, the, the people with the right upbringing, the right pedigree, the invitation is open. Well, what do these few verses at the end of Matthew 12 have to teach us and how are they going to shape our lives? Well, I think it boils down to, to two Ps and you can see on if you've got the outline there, there's, there's room you can fill in the blank, the two Ps. Firstly, it's, there's the privilege the privilege of belonging to God's family. I mean, we have different experiences of, of our earthly families. Perhaps for you it's been a, a great experience. Perhaps it's been hard and very painful. Perhaps it is still hard and very painful. More than likely for most of us, I think it's probably a, a mix of the two. Regardless, though, of of the experience of our earthly families, if we are followers of Jesus, then we have been given the privilege of belonging to God's eternal family. We have the privilege of calling God Father, calling Jesus Brother. What a privilege. We're not just subjects, servants of the King in God's kingdom. We're his family, his dearly loved children. 
That's astounding. It says in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That means we, we can walk through life knowing that despite our experiences of human family, we can know that God is our perfect, loving, heavenly Father. That Jesus, that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that he is our brother. And, you know, part of the privilege of, of, and the joy of God's family, of belonging to God's family, are the many, many other brothers and sisters in Christ that we have as fellow members of God's family. And I'm sure that, that many of you can testify to that, as, as I can. It is a joy and a privilege to know many of you as my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a great privilege, and Jesus shows us the privilege of belonging to God's family. Secondly, he shows us the priority of belonging to God's family, even over our biological family. Now, as I said, Jesus loved his mother and brothers, and despite how challenging his words uh, would have sounded, I'm sure he wasn't dishonouring them here. But he was being clear. Family doesn't come first. Listening to our Heavenly Father, belonging to his family, that is actually more important than even our flesh and blood family. Now, that truth can have all sorts of implications for us. Um, I mean, the most effective and dangerous idols are things that are good. True? The most effective and dangerous idols are things that are good. And I think one very common idol is family. Uh, many people in the world around us, they live for, they worship the God of family. That's what matters most. That's what, that's what they work hard to provide for. They provide for their family. They, they find their meaning, their identity, their purpose in their family. Decisions are made around, well, what's best for the family? Now, Jesus is not saying, well, family doesn't matter, we should neglect our families. He's not saying that. Our human families are important, but they're not absolute. They're not God. And doing the will of our Heavenly Father, that comes first. You know, I'm sure that many of you have, uh, have experienced this tension with, with wider family uh, members who are not Christians or perhaps sometimes even with wider family members who are Christians when they don't understand well, why you don't just skip church so you can be at the family do on Sunday morning or, or why you say oh yeah we're coming but we won't be there till one o'clock or whatever it is. I think that can be one sort of practical expression of, of seeking first the will of our Heavenly Father and it may not always be taken well by our earthly families. But Jesus is clear about the priority of putting him and his father's will first. He said on another occasion with, uh, with words that are even more provocative than this passage in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's pretty provocative, isn't it? 
Now, th this is hyperbole, it's exaggeration. He doesn't actually want us to hate our mum. But in comparison to our devotion to him, compared to that, all other loyalties come in, much, in, in a much lesser way. That's his point. Obeying the will of our Heavenly Father, that is more important than obeying the will of our earthly families. Now, I think, I think we can see fairly easily how that priority of God's family is worked out in, in, in these ways. But I wonder if there are other, perhaps more subtle ways that it, that it works itself out. Such as in what we want for our lives, for our kids' lives, for perhaps for our grandchildren's lives. Now, what are our dreams, our, our goals, our ambitions, our aspirations for, well, for ourselves and for our kids, our grandkids? Is it to, to have a good education, to, to excel in academics or music or sport, to, to have a stable, well-paying, satisfying career, a suitable marriage partner, financial stability, ha happiness? I mean, these are all good things. They're good things. But what about having the dream and the goal and the aspiration of becoming a great and godly servant of Christ who delights in doing the will of our Heavenly Father and who knows that the privilege and the priority of belonging to God's family first and so that are given fully, fully to serving Him regardless of the cost to, to us or to our families. The priority of God's family might actually mean that our kids don't pursue educational, musical, sporting excellence at all costs. It might mean they don't pursue financial success. It might mean that they, they massively underachieve in the eyes of our world. It might mean they give up our comfortable, family-centred lifestyle and move to another country or another state as missionaries to grow God's kingdom there. Do you want that for your children, for your grandchildren? That's challenging. I remember years ago, we were at uh, the Church Missionary Society CMS summer school, and uh, we were, kids were younger. We were, they'd been offered the fantastic kids program. And we came back, we were walking down the big hill at, at Katoomba, and one of them says to us, I'm going to be a missionary when I grow up. And I think, oh, that's challenging. That brings into focus what my goals and dreams are for my kids. Can we pray that, that God would, would so grip our hearts with the privilege and the priority of belonging, not to my family, but to God's family, so grip our hearts with a desire for, to follow Christ, to do his will and the will of, of our Heavenly Father, to grow his kingdom such that they leave, go to a different part of God's world to advance his kingdom there. It sharpens up the priority of belonging to God's family. Now, as I said before, this is not to say that we discard our families as if they're unimportant, um, as we metaphorically gather around Jesus, listening to him, seeking to do God's will. God's will includes loving and caring for our families, the, the family that God may give to us. They are an important ministry for us as we follow Jesus. 
but we're following Jesus and doing his will, not the will of our family first. We're not following the will of our family. We're serving our families as part of our obedience to God. We don't obey our families and hope that we can sort of fit in a bit of service of Jesus in and around that. So Jesus shows us here the the incredible privilege and the all-important priority of belonging to God's family. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I pray that we will see and understand the privilege of belonging to God's family such that we give ourselves wholeheartedly to living out the priority of doing the will of our Father in heaven. May God do that in us more and more. Amen.